0: Hi, this is Deborah, your podcast host for a positive influence. Today I'm joined by Duncan Baskran-Brown. After 20 years of overdoing it, Duncan cleaned up his act, trained with the Easy Way Clinic, and now he spends his time helping other people push overindulgence out of their life. Duncan, thank you for joining us today.
1: It's a pleasure. I'm really looking forward to
0: it. <laughs> Good. So, I understand we're going to talk about cake, wine smoking and anything else we have a habit of overindulging in. Well, I do like wine and sometimes have cake. So can you tell my listeners what this is all about?
1: Yeah, so for me, my kind of overindulgence career, it started in that... uh, very socially acceptable way, you know, with dairy milk, chocolate, and biscuits, hobnobs, you know, and cake, and all of those kind of things. And that's that's what I started uh, getting into when I when I was younger. But you know, eventually I grew up a little bit and found that. No, it wasn't cutting it anymore. That's when I discovered alcohol and everything was like, woohoo, or at least (laughs) I thought it was. Um, Off the back of that, I I developed a lot of other bad habits, particularly around diet, smoking. I took a few drugs in my time. Um, Lots and lots of really bad stuff, which I'm sure we'll get into. But as you said in your introduction, a few years ago, I cleaned up my act, trained as a therapist. And uh, yeah, now I help people.
0: Oh, that's tremendous. My phrase is, I try and do everything in moderation. But what are your thoughts on that?
1: I don't know. If I'm feeling cheeky, I'd probably say the road to hell is paved with moderation. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I I kind of I get where you're coming from. I, I mean, this, you know, goes all the way back to Aristotle, doesn't it? You know, that actually the secret to life is to be between the two opposites. So you don't want to be too temperate and you don't want to be too intemperate. You want to find that middle ground. And I I, I do genuinely believe that, you know, I am not against indulgence, I'm against overindulgence. I think the very real danger with saying everything in moderation, including moderation, is that we've sort of lost this idea of what moderation actually is these days. I mean, you're like, you can get birthday cake ice cream, right? And if you think about that, that doesn't really make sense because you eat birthday cake on your birthday. Yet we now kind of consider birthday cake to be something that you can have every day. And it's therefore we've, we've kind of really lost touch with what the word moderation actually means. So I try and live a moderate life, but most people think I live like a monk.
0: Okay. well, what's your definition of overindulgence then? Overindulgence
1: is doing anything to the point where it becomes a problem. And unfortunately, with the kind of super normal stimulus that you can find lying around all over the place in our our lovely modern world, it's actually quite easy to develop problems not doing too much of anything in particular. So yeah, any overindulgence is, is anything that gets in the way of you being the best version of yourself.
0: And does that sort of cover things like gambling, watching too much TV, computer games, things like that, or is this more about what you yeah. eat?
1: I mean you can you can look at it in a very reductionist way and sort of like talk about anything that operates on your dopamine system is is going to have that kind of compulsive nature to it. So yes, absolutely that includes gambling. Absolutely that includes watching too much TV, playing computer games, Facebook, social media, um, as well as the things that we would think of more traditionally as being compulsive, such as you know overeating, alcohol, drugs, cigarettes. But yeah, absolutely. And and again, you know, I'm I'm not against watching television. I have Netflix. I have a sofa. I just try and treat them as something to do occasionally, not as a full-time job.
0: So the people coming to you for help. Are those really who are saying, "Hang on, I feel I'm doing too much of this or too much of that. How can you help me?
1: Yeah, so I tend to work with professionals who are still functioning at a relatively high level um they've just uh they've they've got into some some really 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 bad kind of indulgence spirals. Um, I work with a lot of people around alcohol. That's kind of most of my work these days is around alcohol. So it'd be typically people like myself, you know, who working very hard, from you know first thing in the morning till eight or nine at night they're then just drinking fairly heavily afterwards and a lot of the time if you met them you you wouldn't know you just no idea you wouldn't have them have them down as as somebody so i you know i work with ceos and scientists like outwardly very very successful people they're just not as successful as they could be because they're they're letting the indulgence typically alcohol but A lot of stuff often goes with that around smoking, occasionally taking drugs, often eating badly. So that's kind of getting in the way of them being where they really need to be.
0: What do you do? you actually have to do something or is it all mental or are there actions? What do you advocate?
1: So I like to talk about the three bullet holes of change because, you know, I think that sounds macho. Go on then, Duncan. <laughs> okay, so you start off with belief and you start to get to grips with what you believe about uh, whatever the substance is. So, I mean, we like alcohol, we have so much head junk around alcohol. You know, we'll spend any time watching TV or films. There'll be loads and loads of things about alcohol, how it makes you handle stress, how it dulls your emotions, how it makes you a real man, makes you a sophisticated lady, all of those kind of things. The same is true of smoking, same is true of eating. I mean, there's there's so much junk out there that people believe about food that isn't actually true. So we get to grips with all of that kind of bit. And I, I have a largely kind of coaching approach. So I, I tend to try and help people think through their own beliefs and their own attitudes rather than telling them what to do. Once you've sorted that um beliefs bit, you know, I think you've made a massive amount of progress. And then we start to think about the thought process. And managing your thought process is something that's relatively straightforward and uh, you know, that that I can teach you to do quite quickly. And once you've managed your thought process, then the the third bit, the action, what you're actually doing, that that's a doddle. You know, if you've if if you've sorted out the beliefs, so you don't really want to do it anymore, and you've sorted out the thought process, so you can manage any um, kind of rogue thoughts you have about uh, about these things, then the action bit is is kind of simple. So what I tend to do with people in the action section is we tend to move beyond simply stopping doing whatever's in their way because the stopping bit's actually the easy bit it's the keeping going and moving forward and moving away from where you were that's the 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 bit that often requires a little bit of effort
0: right take me i enjoy my wine and i may have two or three glasses of wine so that might be defined as uh, two was okay but three's not but i've got to want to stop having that so how do you convince somebody that they want to stop doing it?
1: Honestly, I don't really convince people. What what I find is that most of the people I start to work with, they've got to the point where they've realised it's not serving them anymore. And they already want to do it. They just, you know, it it requires me to, to help them bring that out rather than to sort of convince them as such. But what we do is we just look at you know, how do you think the alcohol is serving you? What do you think it's doing for you? And then we'd get to grips with that. You know, do you think it relaxes you? Do you think it helps you deal with your stress? Do you think it numbs your pain? And then we'd just get to grips thinking about those, those kind of things. I'd probably share a few examples of how, you know, I used to think drinking helped me run away. But if you actually think about the geography of that statement for as little as 30 seconds, you will realize that if you are running away from something, you're getting further from it. And of course I never got further from my problems by drinking. What I was effectively doing was running around them and around them and around them and around them (laughs) and around them them, for uh, literally hours at an end and uh, doing all that running is actually quite tired. Probably explain why I was so knackered when I woke up in the morning. (laughs)
0: Right, and talk about you running round and round and round. Well, we're going to deviate for a minute to your Morris dancing. How did you end up doing Morris dancing?
1: Well, funnily enough, that... that for me, you know, it was it was always tied up with drinking. I mean, Morris dancing is a fantastic excuse to go to the pub at ten a.m., isn't it? You know, <laughs> so um, I, I started dancing when I when I was drinking, and uh, I enjoyed it. And um, I stopped drinking, and I thought, right, well, I'm not going to change my life simply because I've stopped drinking. You know, I've only I've only stopped drinking. I haven't stopped living. I haven't uh, suddenly stopped wanting to wear a, a silly hat with flowers all around it. So um, I carried on dancing. And- And, you know, fairly quickly, I realized that actually I enjoy dancing and I enjoy the blokes that I dance with and I enjoy the the community. You know, I I enjoy going to the events. I enjoy watching other sides dance. I like the music. So what, what I kind of quickly realized was, do you know what? It was never really about the alcohol. It was always about the people. It was always about the activity. It was always about the community. It was always about the music. It was always about the dance. And yes, it was always about the flowers.
0: Oh, Duncan, that's just so lovely. I, I love that change there. That's just incredible. But how long do you have to stop before you see a positive change?
1: So I have seen people have positive changes before they've even stopped. You know, I was working with somebody uh, the the other day and we were sort of, uh, you know, preparing them to stop. And they were already a different person by the time we'd gone, by the time we'd worked through those beliefs and attitudes and they'd realised how much it was holding them back. They were already kind of bursting at the leash, desperate to kind of like just get on with it and get into this new life and and actually start to use their time better and have more energy and all of that kind of stuff so i I think part of the problem is people focus too much on the physical and physically if you don't drink you will wake up feeling better the next day if you don't eat load of junk food you will wake up feeling better the next day if you don't smoke you will wake up feeling better the next day so the physical side of it it's very very quick but i think the mental side of it is actually much much bigger that kind of sense of freedom that sense of relief and that uh, as i say that can happen before you even stop so yeah that's the good thing about it It, you, you do see results quickly
0: that's fantastic do you um measure your success rate with your clients are you able to do that or does it work differently because you work in groups
1: yeah so i i mean i i try and keep up with with my my clients and i try to um you know work with them over the long term so yes i i try and keep an eye on them it's not always possible um you know if i'm interacting with somebody in a kind of very one-off way, it's not always possible to track them. Sadly, I I don't have the resources to do that, so I I can't give you a a, a nice, neat, um, definitive uh, you know result. But I am I am pretty confident in terms of uh, you know stopping smoking i can beat things like champex and nicotine replacement therapy because they're only about you know 15 16 effective and it's not hard to beat that is it no
0: no not at all not at all let's move on i understand you've also written a few books could you tell us about those
1: yeah so the the first few were uh, uh, about local government and they are really really dull so uh, (laughs) I won't mention them but um, my most recent one was called Get Over Indulgence and it's sort of my it's my story effectively it's um about how I got into it and how I got out again and and I, I wrote it very much as a kind of story I tried to make it funny I tried to make it readable so that people would actually read it because you know the most effective self-help books are the ones you actually read aren't they, they are. but you know embedded in that story is what I actually did to change and it does present you with the you know the some of the tools that I use to change and tells you how you could apply those to your life so so it is a self-help book but um I can I tried to disguise it as uh just you know like a funny uh interesting uh page turning kind of story
0: thank you Duncan Duncan, one other area I'd like to cover is what do you do if a friend or a partner is addicted to something, Well, whether it's alcohol, drugs, smoking, just a general overindulgence, as we're, we're talking about, as well as addiction? How would you uh, help there?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, firstly, I've got to sort of acknowledge how hard that is for a lot of people, you know, to, to watch somebody that you love. You know, effectively destroying themselves is 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 among the most difficult things that uh, that, that you can witness. And you know, I I, I should apologise to my mum for doing that to her, and to my wife, and to everybody who knows me. Um, and and then I should probably apologise. For- to my mum because I always end up slating her when I talk about things like this because my mum loves me you know she's great I, I got a lot of time for my mum getting very very well now but she was she always tried to pressure me into stop drinking or stopping smoking or whatever she was 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 angry about at the time and she always tried to make me feel bad And that is absolutely the worst thing you can do because as a drinker, as a smoker, as somebody who eats for comfort, you know, if somebody makes you feel bad, what does that make you do? Do it more. It makes you drink. It makes you smoke. It makes you eat. And it's understandable. I get why people do it. They're concerned. They come from a place of love. But because they kind of go on the attack, it just makes that individual feel worse and it just makes them want to, you know, drink, smoke, eat. More so, kind of the, the, the thing I'd say to people if you're going to remember nothing of what I've said, do no harm, don't make it worse. So, it's very hard, but you have to kind of try and approach that person with love and support and say that you're not going anywhere, you're there to help them, you're there to provide them with what they need. And it's, um, it is a big mindset because. You know, most people, when they, they see somebody destroying themselves, it upsets them and they, you know, they need to process that emotion when actually what the other person needs is they need love and they need support. So I guess the the, the first thing is, is you know, Try not to make it worse and i know nobody intentionally tries to make it worse but that does seem to be quite a common reaction with people so don't make it any worse secondly you know get educated there's a lot of there's a lot of good uh, information out there and you can start to understand what that person's going through and you can start to understand the process that they need to go through to 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 change and that way you can genuinely support them and you can just Kind of push them in the right direction. Show them examples of people who've come out the other side, and thankfully there are a lot of them. You know, there's a lot of celebrities that that um, that, that have cleaned up their life. So look at the kind of sports that they're into the um the kind of the films that they like because you will be able to find some actor or some sports person who's cleaned up their life show them an example of somebody who's gone from where they are to somewhere great so if they like snooker you know point them in the direction of um uh ronnie o'sullivan he's a fantastic <laughs> example and a great advocate for for clean living and uh you know his career has has gone from strength to strength if they like politicians Oh, nobody likes politicians. Uh, but no, David no, Cameron no, no, stops and I think he's all the better for it.
0: <laughs> don't go there. But going back to alcohol, um, I do have some first-hand experience uh, of, of this with a loved one. And the, the problem is, how long do you help them
1: for if they're not willing to change? Yeah, I, I mean, that. ultimately speaking, that is not a question I can answer. I can offer you some... Some positive news though. So I I was reading a study not so long ago and it was talking about rehab in America. And of course in America, you are much more likely if you're connected with the court system to be mandated to attend AA or to go into a proper rehab facility. Um, And the statistics for, for rehab, they're not great i mean it's not like they're curing everybody but the one thing that really stuck out to me was the people that are forced to go there by the court are just as likely to succeed as the people that choose to go there and that gels very much with my own kind of anecdotal evidence and i know that the plural of anecdote is not data but (laughs) i've met a lot of people who shall we say have been forced is not the right word for it but Oh, look, I'll be honest with you. I meet a lot of blokes, right? And they come along because they know it's the only way they're going to get any peace and quiet. And they don't expect it's going to work. And they, they come along and they, they're just doing it to, to shut up their significant other. And they think, you know, it's not going to have any effect on me. I'll just go along and listen to this. And then she'll leave me alone for a couple of months. And honestly, the people that start with that attitude, they're usually just as lightly and sometimes I think even more lightly because the thing is deep down inside they know that it's not serving them but they they kind of put this front up Against everybody because they're getting a lot of criticism, they're putting up this front about how they enjoy it, and they meet me and they realise that we're not that dissimilar, and that actually I spent years and years and years doing that, and that uh, um, actually they're among friends, and that re- they drop their guard and they drop it, uh, you know, pretty quickly in in some situations. So I guess what I'm saying is the the good news is that if you can get people to some sort of treatment, even if they go kind of unwillingly, there is a chance that they can be successful. And if the treatment program is is any good, you know, there'll be a good chance they can be successful.
0: Duncan, thank you for that. That's just so positive. It's just such a good to know that that's out there.
1: Yeah, Yeah, well, look, you know, anybody is capable of change. And it's a sad myth that, you know buzzes around the internet, it buzzes around society. I mean you could get all conspiratorial about why maybe the government doesn't want you to know that you can change. but the thing is people can change. I've seen it. I've seen people go from you know four bottles of wine to massive success. So you know change is possible. That's I guess the greatest message we can share with people.
0: Absolutely, well, I'm, I'm an optimist. Uh, my glass is always half full and I like well,
1: to... Let's hope it's not half full of wine, eh? Yeah.
0: Do you mind, it's a bit early. It's only half past 11. <laughs> oh, dear oh, me. Right, so let's carry on now and talk about, um, you had a stint as a mayor of your hometown. How on earth did that happen?
1: Yeah, so um, I, I got involved in politics really, really <laughs> early on. I was involved in the British Youth Council, and uh that was kind of more small p politics so not really party political just you know trying to change the world because uh, yeah well i am a little bit of an iconoclast a little bit of a rebel you know i can (laughs) i can see things that are wrong with the world always wanted to try and change them so um i i sought out politics early as an opportunity to 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 change them so uh You hang around kind of these political circles for long enough and you end up joining a political party. And if you spend long enough in a political party, somebody somewhere will tell you to stand for office. Uh, I first stood in a local election when I was 22, got elected to my hometown council uh, when I was 26 and became mayor of my hometown at 31. And yeah, it it was a very, very interesting experience. I met an awful lot of really amazing people. And I, I mention it quite a bit in the book because right. I think it is a is a good contrast that a lot of people would looked at me, they thought I was incredibly successful, that I did a really good job as being mayor. And, you know, I'm not gonna argue with that, but you know, underneath all of it was a lot of wine and a lot of bad dietary choices, oh, no. you and a lot of smoking. <laughs> and um I know that the way I am now, you know, completely free of all of that junk, I would have done a much better job.
0: Well, you better go back now and become prime minister then, you
1: know. <laughs> no, I oh, yeah, I'm sure oh, there's a poison chalice.
0: <laughs> but I do understand what you're saying. I feel the same way. Sometimes I read the news and think, oh, I really wish I could do something, fix the world. And sometimes I, I just basically turn it off uh, because I just feel that I can't solve that problem. And try and solve problems closer to home. Uh, in in I, a I
1: think that's way. a really good idea. I mean, I don't I don't watch the news anymore. Gave up on that a while ago. In fact, I was um, stood outside uh, school talking to a couple of mums of my daughter's friends, and they were talking about watching the news in the morning and how it starts the day and makes you all depressed. And I was like. No, I just watch cartoons with Leela. It really cheers me up. (laughs) We start the day in a positive mood. But yeah, avoid the news. And you know what? You can't solve all of the problems. There are a massive amount of problems in the world. You can't solve more, but you can solve one. You know, and I just, uh, all I really try and do is show people that there's another way. You know, stand in my truth, show them that there's an example of of how to do things differently. And, you know, what, seven billion people on the planet? I'm not going to help them all, but yeah the 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 one person that i had a coaching session with yesterday who uh recently told me that she doesn't think she'd be alive if it wasn't for me you know that's oh duncan that's that's reward enough oh
0: that is that is you really are making a difference to others lives and that's what this podcast is all about it's a positive influence that people everyday ordinary people are having on others lives
1: and um, and I think, you know, you've really got to kind of like notice the ripple effect with that. Um, this I learned this really early on. So when I was a student, I did quite a lot of theatre. And when I directed my first play, um, I was at the, the, the party after the, the closing night. And um, loads of people were giving the, the actors plaudits. And they were going on about how great and amazing the actors were. And I was sat in the corner on my own drinking uh, drinking a glass of wine, thinking, why is nobody coming and telling me that I've done a good job? <laughs> and then what I realised was that the only reason anybody's telling any of the ac- these actors that they did a good job is because I did a good job. So I helped them to do what they are getting the praise for. So this particular person who I was uh, had a, a session with yesterday, you know, I... They're in the science world and um, I think they're going to do something that's gonna have a big effect on climate change. And they're they're gonna do something quite important for the environment, something that I could never do myself. But if I can enable them to have a bit more energy, a bit more focus, a bit more drive, a bit more passion, a bit more peace, you know, then they're going to change the world. And uh, frankly, I'm going to steal as much of that glory as I can.
0: Oh, absolutely. But it's like in business as well. Um, I've run a few businesses and I found that if I surround myself with people who are really good at what they do, everybody coming together, it then boosts you up and it enables you to then do a better job uh, over. Overall, team working. Duncan, oh, this has been a really, really uplifting conversation. Thank you so much for your time. And I, I've enjoyed it. I want to just tell everybody that further information can be found on your site, which I'm going to put the details on my podcast episode so they can see the spelling. And then they can find more information.
1: Baskerandbrown.com is quite easy to remember, but not so easy to spell. There's this rogue H in it, isn't there? Yes, uh, there is. You know, if you can stick my name into Google, you can find me quite easily.
0: Duncan, that's fabulous. Thank you so much. So this is Deborah signing off. There will be more interviews to follow and take care.